0: Welcome to 2024. With the 2024 election on the horizon, the wars in Gaza and Ukraine, and numerous other foreign policy and domestic news stories, it's never been more important to stay informed. The DSR Network has you covered, with experts across all of these stories to bring you the analysis and commentary of the stories that matter. Later this month, the DSR Network will introduce the TNR Daily featuring Greg Sargent, formerly of the Washington Post, and a close friend of the show. Don't miss a moment of our coverage. Become a member of the DSR Network today. Members receive exclusive bonus content, the opportunity to attend DSR live events, a members-only Slack community, an ad-free listening experience, and more. For the month of January, receive 50% off your first year of membership. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSR2024 at checkout. That's the slash buy and code DSR2024. Thank you for your support.
1: This is Words Matter with Norm Ornstein. We've got the boats and screw the rest of you. And Dr. Kavita Patel.
2: These might be some of the smaller moments you know, with all the bombshells, didn't catch people's eyes. Hello and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our country as we enter into what It's proving to be, as expected, Norm, a very busy year of elections and election cycle politics. We are, I have to be honest, Norm, we're talking to you, Riley Fessler, our incredible producer. The three of us were obviously recording uh, virtually. And thank goodness, because it's a snowy day in Washington. I know you've got some sentiments about uh, how well the city is prepared or not prepared. And I would just argue that the states of Maryland and Virginia can go into that pile of people who are not prepared for our snow. But I would like to say that it's somewhat of a metaphor, if you will, that the whole week has been kind of, uh, it's almost Mother Nature's way of saying, I'm going to take this ugly scenario that is the entire kind of uh, interaction between Iowa caucuses, democracy, freedom, elections, debates, the Republican lineup. And we're going to talk in our members only pod about Mike Johnson and uh, what he's doing to single-handedly, you know, take down democracy. And it's as if Mother Nature is saying I'm just going to cover it with a white blanket and try to try to make it somewhat more try to make it somewhat more pretty to look at. But as they say, Norm, I, I don't think we can put lipstick on a on a pig. And I think that this is an apt analogy for how the week has played out. Tell me your interpretation. I will say I'm not surprised by the Iowa caucuses as listeners hear this. Obviously, Iowa caucuses with Donald Trump is a winner. And what I thought could be Nikki Haley is like a not even a close second, but still a distant second. looks like we've got. Um, still a lot of real estate between Trump and everybody else. And we've seen Ramaswamy knock himself off and then proudly announce that he's endorsing Donald Trump and, you know, already putting in his VP nomination. Tell me, tell me uh, your take on the week's events, Norm and 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 how you're faring in the snow. I know you're surviving.
1: <laughs> uh sure. Well, I went out and shoveled first thing this morning after taking uh, my dog out, um, knowing that if you wait, it gets much worse. Um, but, uh, I, you know, whenever we get snow, which is still a fairly infrequent occasion here, Kavita, I am always reminded of the former senator from Oklahoma, Jim Inhofe, going on the Senate floor with a snowball to say, they talk about global warming. And yet, look at this, uh, with a complete misunderstanding of what climate change is all about. And as we see more and more of these storms, and it's getting much worse up north, uh, and we had it with the Iowa caucuses that you know cut the attendance down to almost half of what it had been in uh, previous times. There are a, a couple of things that uh, stick out to me. Uh, first, of course, is that this is so emphatically, Donald Trump's party, and uh the trump voters uh, we know at least from uh even if you don't take uh entrance or exit polls terribly seriously, that only six percent of Trump's voters think that uh, Joe Biden won the election, but they made up half of those voters uh, who came out in the Iowa caucuses uh, and uh, Yes, it was a fight for second place, and uh, Ron DeSantis uh, barely edged out uh, Nikki Haley. But, you know, both were 30 points plus behind uh, Trump. But what also struck me, Kavita, is that over the span of two days, we had Chris Sununu, often touted as the pragmatic or even moderately conservative governor of New Hampshire, Doug Burgum, the governor of North Dakota, billionaire businessman who had said before hugely harsh things about Donald Trump, Marco Rubio, all endorse Trump, effectively saying that if Trump were the nominee, of course they would vote for him. And the uh, insanity of that That uh, people who understand that they're dealing with a rapist uh, convicted by a jury of sexual assault and rape, uh, somebody who clearly incited a violent insurrection against the country, who spreads conspiracy theories, who stole the most sensitive documents, and then uh, engaged in obstruction of justice.
2: But say a little bit more about not just the people. Just sorry to interrupt, Norm. Say a little bit more. This is gonna—I try not to drive our producer crazy by interrupting because it's hard to actually break that up. But I'm—I want you to triple down. I'll offer some stats in a moment, but I want you to go deeper than you've mentioned. Just high-profile kind of people who have previously, like, admonished Trump, and I'm—I'm just curious how it—it extends to not just people who have denied the election there were there were voters and and let's also let listeners know that iowa caucuses are i'm going to insult some people from iowa i have good friends from iowa there's just something weird about the caucuses i've spent time there there's something about how kind of this like especially in the light of like weather adverse weather for iowans it's it's even more of a like a strange dynamic so there's something about iowa caucuses that i would be cautious and overly interpreting but i don't think it would be too cautious to say trump is the nominee that that there's really no clear signals that even if um even if nikki haley could come back in new hampshire and then in her own home state of south carolina which is seems like a real if that this still feels like this is his nomination to lose. And there's no signs of that, but it's not just election deniers and people who previously like spoke out against him. It's quite a few. What's troubling is that if you look at caucus goers, there were, there were some educated people. There were some, there were some people of color. There were, this was not like, yes, these were all people who kind of would show up, you know, in, in January and deny the election. It's, and tell me if you, read, and, and I'll give some stats in a moment. Tell me if you parsed it that way, or am I being overly worried about this?
1: So one thing we we have to keep in mind is, uh, you know, I remember uh, the Iowa of my younger days, I was very close to both Dick Clark and John Culver, who were senators from, uh, Democratic senators from Iowa, I was uh, friends with Jim Leach um, and uh, uh, Fred Grandy, uh, Republicans from a different era. Iowa was a swing state that often went for Democrats. Now it is firmly in the Republican camp and uh, the state is as white as the snow on the ground here in Washington. So. I, I don't want to extrapolate too much from the fact that some of these caucus goers represented a demographic that's uh, a troubling one for uh, Biden and uh, the rest of us. Um, but obviously what we've seen and what we see with those caucus goers and what we know even from the interviews that journalists do with them, and it's, this is true across the entire country, that you cannot escape the word cult. People who view him as somebody that God has sent down, and that's, of course, mostly the evangelical community, but not entirely so. People who view him as this brilliant guy where the cognitive decline is so clear, and he keeps talking about these tests that he's taken that show how smart he is, that are basically ones that are uh, designed to check for cognitive decline. And then he said you know I had one where I guessed the whale before anybody else, but there was no whale uh you know all of that, but people think that he is some demigod, and that is really, really troubling um and it suggests that if somehow he prevail <coughs> if somehow he prevails um we've got a whole cadre of people who are going to be completely indifferent to the mayhem that he will bring to the society, from the concentration camps he's promised, to uh, calling out troops to shoot at protesters, uh, to blowing up our alliances, and on and on and on. Um, You know, as we're talking about Iowa, though, I would make a couple of other uh, points that I think are significant. You know, we head to New Hampshire. Um, Nikki Haley hopes that with a, a Republican Party that at least on the surface Is more moderate that she may prevail, and whatever use the polls are, they show her uh, in a close enough contest with Trump. But it doesn't matter. Um, Once we get past this and we move on pretty rapidly to South Carolina to Super Tuesday, this nomination contest, I think, effectively is uh, 99% over. And I think what Nikki Haley and even Ron DeSantis are trying to do now, people say Haley wants to be the vice presidential nominee. I think there's zero chance of that. And what gives me chills is I'm seeing more and more talk, including from Trump, about Elise Stefanik, who I view as one of the most loathsome uh, people in American society. Uh, I think each of them wants to stay in this as long as they can. Uh, Hoping that somehow Trump implodes. Maybe he uh, collapses under the weight of these cases that are going forward and things are not going well for him. Uh, in the Eugene Carroll case, uh, where he may end up with a judgment of uh, huge amounts uh, going to her, and he keeps doubling down on sliming her and the judge. Um, Uh, on losing his business uh, in New York with uh, the case that uh, Attorney General Tish James has brought against him, with the other indictments uh, going forward, that maybe he's convicted of something in enough time that people decide to change. It's desperation on their part, but that's the only hope that either of them have of going anywhere. And DeSantis is the walking dead here.
2: We can talk about DeSantis in a moment for a brief reprieve, but I wanted to bring up something that one of, uh, one of your and my kind of very common, very good friends, uh, Mary Trump has tried to highlight and I highly recommend if folks haven't had a chance. Um, I wanted to just remind folks that, uh, Mary Trump has an incredible pod, which you've also been a part of, but she's also got a great sub stack so that, uh, I'm I'm waiting for Norm Substack, but it's called The Good in Us. And she's definitely, she's definitely in one of my opinions, kind of the, not just because of her, uh, you know, amazing insight into the Trump family, but she's also got a lot of, a lot of good nuggets in there. And I think that she's, she's, she has something on um, Donald's victory uh, and she calls it uh, it's from January 15th if anybody listening wants to look it up Don- Donald's Iowa victory undermined and and she's basically trying to kind of talk through like how much of how much of Iowa is this momentum not just obviously kind of this cult that was gathered and generated and delivered but there's There's so much that was happening while Iowa was playing out in court that I think points to exactly what you've been alluding to—that like there's been an incredible amount of barriers for Trump legally. So talk, Norm, about how to think through like, and and we can talk about whether it's important to highlight Joseph Takapina. I hope I'm saying his name right, but. You know, the attorney that actually dropped him as a client um, for, I think it was not just his Manhattan criminal case, but I think also for the e. Jean Carroll appeal. So talk a little bit about this, like, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's like two worlds, right? Two completely different worlds that we're living in, where you've got what's happening here and then also what's playing out with Supreme Court as well, as well as the legal challenges. And one of the first lawyers that's dropped out at this crucial moment.
1: So, uh, you know, Trump has armies of lawyers because there are so many cases. Many of them, uh, many lawyers have dropped him, uh, not just uh, Taco Joe, as he's called, Taco Pina. Uh, some, I think, because he hasn't paid them. Uh, the cash flow, uh, you know, most lawyers uh, who are going to go to work for Donald Trump understand his history of stiffing uh, contractors And my guess is that uh, no decent lawyer is going to join with Donald Trump unless they're getting paid in cash uh, in advance, or at least very fat retainers. And the quality of his lawyering has clearly gone down. I mean, you know, when you have a lawyer arguing in front of a judge on presidential immunity, who is willing to say that Trump could call out SEAL Team 6 as president, and kill rivals, and that unless he were impeached and convicted, he couldn't be prosecuted for that kind of murder. When you have a, a lawyer like Alina Haba, who has bragged in the past that, uh, you know, her uh, basically her greatest asset is being good looking, uh, which for Trump may be the case, um, being schooled over and over again by Judge Kaplan and violating every standard of uh, legal protocol, uh, th- it's closing in on Trump, and I think he knows it. And for the first time in his life, he may not be able to wriggle out of you know disaster facing him, and he is reacting just the way you would expect a narcissistic sociopath uh, to react. It's a combination of doubling down on his sociopathy and denial, but I I just think we cannot escape the reality as you watch him out there, as you listen to him, that there are serious cognitive issues at play here with this guy, and yet he is a slam dunk as the Republican nominee and has a very solid chance of uh, being back in the White House And uh, in a precarious state with what is likely to be a running mate who would be uh, at least as bad, if not worse, uh, than him. And these legal cases are going to play out, even though there are now, of course, some bumps in the road for uh, the prosecutors. We're still we're waiting for the Supreme Court to rule on immunity on the 14th Amendment, uh, uh, among other things. We know that one of uh, probably the best lawyer that Trump has is Judge Eileen Cannon in Florida, who's doing everything she can to protect him and delay the case involving the stolen documents, The uh, probably giving the most sensitive information to our adversaries, and then lying and covering it up. And she's going to try and make sure that this uh, trial doesn't happen until after the election. Fonnie Willis in Atlanta has now this giant distraction that one of the lawyers she hired to work with her on the case against Trump and the other defendants uh, in Fulton County uh, apparently has had a romantic relationship with her. And that's a big distraction. But the trials in New York are going to go forward. He is likely to lose his ability to practice. If he tries to appeal, then he has to put in escrow the funds that uh, the judge decides uh, are are, uh, what he's liable for, which could be hundreds of millions of dollars. And it's doubtful that he has the cash or the ability to put that forward without selling some of his properties. He's going to have another criminal case. It wouldn't surprise me that the judge in the Eu.gene Carroll case, as he continues to defame her, will uh, basically come up with a figure of uh, 50 to 100 million dollars in addition that he owes her. And uh, this is a you know, a real set of problems for him, and I've got to believe that it's going to take its toll on him physically and mentally.
2: It's going to take us toll, not just physically and mentally, but I think what we've learned is that with Trump, it's emotional, right? Like this is all very, this is uh, this is this is all very psychological for him about kind of feeling like he's on top. And Iowa might have left him feeling on top, but let's maybe fast forward a little bit, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll take a. We'll take a break, and then if our members are able to join us, we can spend some time talking about how Mike Johnson is adding into this pile, this uh, this maelstrom of mess. Forecast for us, uh, some uh, listeners and viewers have wondered kind of how the like following caucuses and kind of what will play out. Maybe walk through some of the scenarios as you see it, Norm. So we have a little bit of time between now and New Hampshire and then South Carolina what's likely to play out and do you suspect it's this kind of Nikki Haley's going to see how she does in New Hampshire and then make a decision so she's not embarrassed in South Carolina or do you think everybody's going to go for it if you're in you're in regardless of you know how disastrous a showing in New Hampshire might be
1: and I well you've hit I think on a key point which is that uh, the way it looks now uh, if Nikki Haley takes it down to South Carolina in her home state where she was governor. She's likely to be trounced by Trump. So she will have a decision to make. And it would not surprise me if she does not either prevail in New Hampshire or come very close to Trump, that uh, she will hang it up and probably endorse him, despite uh, everything. But, you know, if she wins New Hampshire or if it's a very close race, how can she drop out at that point and then she has to face what could be a major humiliation of losing in her own home state and at that point how do you stay in and uh, you know I'll circle back to what I said before the only reason to stay in at that point is because you want to be the one there that uh is the heir apparent if something happens to trump and So uh, I can imagine Haley, more than DeSantis, sticking this out, knowing that a significant part of the Republican establishment, such as it is, would prefer her because they think that uh, she would have greater appeal to the non-Trump base uh, as an alternative to, to Biden, and also, of course, being young and vigorous, trying to make that contrast. But that is, um, uh, you know, to call it a long shot uh, doesn't do justice to the term long shot. Doesn't
2: do justice to the long shot. And also doesn't it's it's uh, as we unpack not just the caucuses, but we'll have on another kind of time and moment to talk about kind of the Biden campaign and like where it's going through its own shits and starts and. And so before we do that, Norm, any any closing thoughts for things to come up in the next news cycle, anything this week that you're looking out for, any hearings? I know you've been talking to folks on the Hill, anything happening this week that we should just make sure our listeners are aware of?
1: You know, I think uh, we're going to get this continuing focus uh, on politics. Congress will not be around now that they have solved <laughs> their problem of a shutdown that we will talk about uh, momentarily. Uh, but I will say uh, one of the things that really concerns me are uh, television networks, our print journalists. Love this time of year because they love covering the horse race, and they uh, it's it normalizes Trump uh, because it's all about winning and losing. I want to see CNN, especially, start a series which I would call the stakes, because that's what matters now. Trump's going to win this nomination uh, unless lightning strikes and Trump has a serious chance of winning election and what people need to be aware of is what that would mean what it would mean for immigrants what it would mean for muslims what it would mean for ukraine and taiwan for our alliances for our economy uh, for working class people many of whom support trump but who will get stiffed again as the billionaire class uh manages to make out like bandits yet one more time there's so much there uh the threat to the fundamental freedoms uh, and um, that's what I hope we'll start to see a focus on but I'm hoping yeah, against i, hope.
2: I, I i'm uh, yes i'm I'm hoping against hope but I guess hope, hope and sanity might prevail. Maybe that's another way to look at it. So we'll, we'll hope, hopefully, <laughs> we can uh, only wish that the snow either keeps us all blanketed in some just, you know, picturesque white winter-esque scenes and doesn't quickly turn to black slush, as I suspect it will by the afternoon of our recording. But I want to, want to thank you, Norm, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for our incredible producer, Riley Fessler, and our executive producer, Chris Cotton, Words Words Matters, a production of the DSR Network. We would love for you to like this episode, share it with your friends on all your favorite podcast, social media platforms. We're on all of them. And if you can join us as a member, it's even now less than a latte a, a month, and gives you i think hopefully some days i do think that we sometimes bring a little, a little bit of glo- little bit of gloom but hopefully at least a little bit of warmth in your cup when you when you listen to us and our next episode of words matter should be in your podcast feeds in or around january 25th thank you so much and see you soon